Welcome everyone to the Threshing Forward podcast. This is Brad Gilliard. I'll be your guest this week, hosted by John Flood King Hendricks. This week we'll be talking about the reserve rule, unofficial tournaments, and the Plus Run Initiative. Hope you enjoy the listening. All right, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. As always, John Hendricks here, and I am joined by someone that's been missing in action for a while. It's been quite a while since you've been on the podcast, but how you doing, Brad? Well, he finally found me. Here I am, and uh, I'm back. It feels good to be back. When was the last time you were on? Do you recall? I think it was like 2021, maybe. Yeah. It was definitely before your mission trip, which was in June. Yeah, uh, end of May and June, beginning of June. So it's been it's been at least a few months, and I know that the community's probably been wondering where you are because I keep talking about, like I involve you when I talk about the playgroup that we're working with at church and whatnot, but then there's no you ever around anymore. So, guys, my imaginary friend is real. He's here. He does exist. And I'm part of the playgroup, so. Yeah, and with him, that gives us – right now you're looking at a stark 50% of our play group. Hey, so, humble beginnings. Yeah, you got to build the boat before you can ask for the animals. <laughs> I love that phrase lately. I've been stuck on it. <laughs> so I guess I'll just open open it up and let you uh, kind of tell us, how's, how's your summer going? And how how has it gone? I know school started now, but since we didn't talk to you before, and that's kind of the reason why. How is it like being a redemption player that is a, also a youth minister that is also involved with leadership at church and all of that? Yeah, well, as far as the summer goes, I mean, I don't know how – I feel like most youth pastors are probably the same on this. Uh, the summer is probably the busiest time of the year <laughs> for youth pastor because there's just so much to do. Every – students out of school so they're always looking for something to do so you plan all these events and have all you know it's just kind of one thing to the next and of course the church has stuff going on so you're involved with those things as well so um actually like the beginning of the school year is like a nice little like two to three week uh i wouldn't say break but like a slowdown like a pause um so i was able to like actually sit back and like get a lot of planning done the first couple weeks of school and now I'm jumping right back into the schools and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's about how it's going right now. Nice. So when we when we sat down to record this episode, Brad told me, don't ask me anything about any videos or anything because I have not been keeping up with redemption. So I'm just going to let you know that there has been some video content that came out from our friend Rob M. on his YouTube channel, Rob M. Studios. He has game footage from a Type 2 game with Julio of Wake Em Up Ministries. His friend that is also from New York that does ministry and uses the game as an evangelism tool. So you have a game with him for Type 2, and then there's a Type 1 game of him versus Patrick Chafari. And Patrick is a well-established player. He got third at Nationals last year. So not this past one that we just finished up. But the year before, 2021 in Texas, he got third place. So there's game footage there, and Rob is using a mostly GOC deck. 
from what I could tell from watching the first few minutes, but I have not watched either of those videos in its entirety or even a lot of any of them. So I guess don't ask either one of us about those videos, but they are there for you to go and watch and they are definitely on the to watch list. Absolutely. Also, I guess we can let you know that Rob M also hosts the zoom discord invitational, which has series six that is starting up September 11th. And likewise, also Lackey Grand Prix five is running and the first week pairings for that one is up now. Our first week pairings are up now. And those games are due Sunday night by 9 PM. I was not told or it was not put what time zone that is. So I will just say that I don't, know the exact but i assume that's probably central time if i were to guess but 9 p.m is the the deadline for that on sunday evening for the first round pairings and then the next pairings will go up did you sign up for the grand prix i know you got all this time on your hands now um i have not you know i do miss it though um i like uh the grand prix format and also the zoom invitational i've done both and uh um uh, you know just looking forward to like that game every week like that's pretty cool and you know making adjustments all that stuff yeah i think having the unofficial tournaments give purpose to our play testing and and building decks and things of that nature has really helped i guess put the community together and communicating and being I guess in more close contact and bouncing ideas off as far as deck building and things of that nature. I think that's cool to see. And it's also led to some kind of cool things, you know, like the Mr. Classic that's coming up early 2023 in either February or March in Knoxville, Tennessee. But it's also led to some other unofficial tournaments. One of those being the scroll around the block, which is going to be hosted by our friend Rob M lot of Rob M on this. So we appreciate you, Rob, for keeping the community, you know, invigorated with lots of cool things that are happening. Because if it wasn't for you, this would be a pretty slim recent news update here. But Rob is hosting the Scroll Around the Block. That's going to be happening November 5th at Hope Christian Fellowship Church in Rochester, New York. And this will feature a scrolls-only format. So there will be a category that is scrolls only, so classic only, without any rotation format cards on the new card face from IJ Forward. And then there will also be block format in an unofficial capacity because it is not a legal category, but block format, which will be Fall of Man, Prophecy of Christ, Lineage of Christ, and Gospel of Christ constructed. So you will build your deck out of those sets that have come out. And for those categories, there will be play mats and custom card sleeves as prizes for the winners. Those will also be paired with a district-level Type 1 Classic and Sealed Deck tournament that will happen respectively. And those, you will also be able to get the promos and things of that, R&RS points, all of that, because those will be legal tournaments. So, speaking about tournaments, there is a brand new host guide for fall 2022 that includes GOC only gospel of Christ only constructed format, which will also yield you an additional promo for doing GOC only where you'll be able to get clinging to power 
um, alternate art, a, what was the other one? Golgotha and Herod's Temple. So you'll be able to get one of those three. But also, there's a new fall seasonal promo that was shared this past week, and that is going to be Saul of Tarsus. So, you know, kind of kick it old school back to before all of the cards were released when you were on the podcast, Brad. you want to give us a rundown on that card? Saul of Tarsus? Yes, sir. Rundown on the card. Here we go. Let's see if I can remember how to do this. Name, Saul of Tarsus. He's a 4-2 gray evil character. He's a Pharisee. Only evil character, by the way. Uh, so you can't, you know, he doesn't convert to Paul, I guess. Unless, I guess you could convert him at some point, but. Holy Grail. Holy Grail, something. Um, name and servant girl, you know, something like that. Um, but he's a Pharisee, a Roman. He can have unholy writ activated on him. His ability says you could draw two or take an enhancement of matching brigade from reserve. Protect this card from the next enhancement. Opponent plays this battle CBP. So this feels like a better version of, I think, Supercilious Scribes because that one is basically the same thing, but without the draw two, without the CBP, and yeah. Yeah, it, it does feel similar. I also like that you have the identifiers of Pharisee and Roman, so you can kind of work around that. Um, because I believe Daenerys, it's while you control an emperor, but it also pulls a Roman. So Daenerys could pull this yeah. guy. And it's also it's also kind of, I guess they assume that because of the old throwback to hero lists or hero light decks where people used the Saul that could be converted, um, that started as evil and then turned good. Maybe that's why they put this. But did you notice the identifier line that says may activate unholy writ on this evil card? Uh. So if you convert it, you wouldn't be able to then place Unholy Writ on it. Like, they specify this card has to be evil to get Unholy Writ. And I just thought, that's kind of odd. Like, that, it's at least something that I noticed because I don't think I've seen it worded like that on any other card that is exclusively evil. It just says, may activate Unholy Writ on this card. And yeah. this specifies this evil card, even though the card itself doesn't have the potential to be good unless converted from an outside source or ability. Yeah, on a side note, uh, random thought for you. I, I guess I can share this now because my opinion's changed. But um, the the new borders on these things, I actually did not like them when they first came out. Um, I, see, I knew that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I thought, looking at the pictures, it made it look like the border was going to be so big yes. that it was going to make the artwork in the text box look so small. But when I got those starter decks at Nationals and I looked at them, I was like, Oh, this actually looks pretty good. Yeah. So I was able to use your uh, John starter deck, uh, played a game with him in one of our play group. And I think that was the first game we played was with the new starter decks. And uh, I was I was looking at the cards. I was like, wow, these actually look really cool. Like these are, these would be cool to like, these would be the ones that we're like showing off to people, you know, when it, when it comes to decks and stuff like, you know, check this out. This is a starter deck. And it's like, wow, it like all pops together. So yeah, I have definitely changed my mind on that. They look good. Yeah, I think I think a lot of them will be kind of you'll have to see them before you uh, you know, like you feel reassured that you're going to like the way that they look because 
with trying to make all the borders kind of have a purpose and match. Like I noticed that like on like blue cards will have a blue type border. Like this gray card has kind of a gray, but you don't see a lot of gray necessarily in this border, at least not at the picture that I'm looking for, uh, looking at it's been printed onto an outline for the podcast here, but it looks a little bit darker. So there's a little contrast between what color is on the brigade box or in the brigade box and then the border. And I know that there's, as long as there's some contrast there, I think it will look good. I think if those ever end up being almost the same, I'm a little, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you want there to be some contrast so that that icon box pops out. Yeah. So, but I, I could just imagine whenever I had these cards, like a, a little tiny picture, you know, I was just like, man, these borders are fat and like the picture's like shrunken and tiny. You can't even read the card, but no, nah, it's like none of that. It, it actually looks really good. So. Do you remember Gabe saying that part of the reason for doing this was that they were hoping that it would help with centering issues and cutting the cards? No, I don't remember that. Okay. Um, unless I'm putting words into Gabe's mouth. I believe that that was part of the the initial reasoning for kind of testing out a new card design because people were getting the white border where it was really thick on one side and really thin on the other. If you've ever opened up a cloud of witnesses, Moses, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've received a new uh, winter promo version of New Jerusalem, you know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. We call it. We we have this thing that we like to talk about. That card is redemption mint. If it looks <laughs> to the point to where when I had Walgreens cut out the invitations for the Mr. Classic for Jeremy to give out at uh, Nationals, Jay reached out and asked me to get something made or make something. I guess he knew that I was, you know, a little bit extra. So I would go the extra mile and get it, you know, kind of pseudo professionally done. Walgreens really jacked up cutting those cards. Like it was like half a sheet and they had to cut it in half. And I had a gold border. So it was red, but then there was a little gold border, but it wasn't on the very edge. It was kind of like close to the edge, but not. So there was red inside of it and outside. And they cut it so bad. And when I I got it and I showed it to Jeremy, I was like, it's fine. You know, it just, it looks like it fits for redemption because it looks like the, the redemption card, uh, I guess company that prints our cards. It looks like we just had them cut these things. Um, so it was kind of a little bit of a joke and you know, people like that a little bit, but we didn't harp on it too much. Anyway, I'm sure everyone that received one of those probably felt at ease because it was redemption meant for sure. But if you look, if you look at the starter deck cards, like next time we're at Playgroup, take the card and take a couple of them out of the sleeve and look at the back. Like it seems like the back is centered up really well. It also looks like there's not any like glaring obvious like it's thin border on the right side. Like the picture is shifted to the right or left. It seems to be pretty centered up. And I I just wonder if that's a meaning that you know trying to do that to help with the card cutting process was a success or if you know it's just a lucky run. I guess we'll have to see more cards get printed to know what which way that's leaning but definitely on the K&L starter decks that they shared with us at Nationals I think it looks fantastic for that purpose yeah definitely agree so all right I guess we will lead in right now and talk about something that I've been pushing for the last few weeks the plus one initiative 
So the plus one initiative is for you to get off your butt, get off the couch, and go and find somebody that doesn't know about redemption and tell them about redemption. And then play a game with them. And then you submit a picture of you and said person, and you get entered into the plus one initiative, and whoever has the most, or we may do a drawing style based on how many entries the person has, giving out the prizes and all of that, and what the prizes are is not solidified yet. But we will be doing something huge for people that are taking the initiative and running with it and trying to grow the game, making an active effort to grow the game. So, Brad, make sure you submit for the people that we've had had join. I'm not going to enter my own my own thing that I'm pushing. So you can have all of our entries. You can have you can have both of technically the the two new ones. <laughs> so there you go. My sure. gift to you. Now I will say one thing that we're going to try. Um, we don't really have a. Uh, I wouldn't say a redemption. Uh, looking group of kids. <laughs> I don't know how to phrase that, phrase that, but uh, they're not they're not the type of kids that would sit down and play Magic or Pokemon or or Redemption for that matter. Um, but uh, I do think that they might if they gave it a try. So one thing that not that we have a huge group or anything, but uh, one thing I'm gonna try to do tomorrow at uh, service is like lay out some cards so they can see it, kind of see the strategy behind it. Um, you know, maybe pick out some of their favorite characters or whatever. Um, I've thought about also doing that on a Sunday. I don't think that would be a problem either. You know, just kind of have them displayed on a table uh, for more of our college students that come in on Sunday. Um, see if there's any of them that used to play cards or any kind of CCG games or anything like that. So um, we're definitely going to put it out there and hopefully we'll get at least a couple people interested that can come in and just like, you know, at least for, if nothing else, just hang out and play. So. Yeah, and what better way? I don't know if I've shared it on the podcast yet. I don't. I don't think I have because I think this happened after I recorded with Jonathan um, for last week's episode. But I do now have a beautiful, beautiful, great condition, and I'm not just talking about redemption men. I'm talking about it is in really good condition. 2018 Blue Son of God mm. that my friend Gomez helped me to obtain. So I have completed the national winter promos that started in 2016 forward. So I have that collection done. And I told Brad that I should go and buy some of the displays for those so we could, you know, throw out a, a 2016 Son of God on display, a strong angel, the um, angel of the winds, and maybe the king of Tyrus. Just just pick out a couple of the really cool looking national winter promos because those are some of the best looking cards Probably have to put a blue Gabriel in there too, because I love that thing. Yeah, I can't believe it took you that long to pull him up, but yeah. Well, I was going through the winter. It, it took me a minute to come around to. Oh, you idiot! That's a beautiful card. Put that in there. So maybe maybe we'll display some of those. But I just added it up, and as far as unique people that have been entered as being a plus one for someone, we don't have a ton of entries for individuals that are submitting these. So make sure if you have someone you've shown the game, submit it and get credit for it. But we've had 36 individuals be shown the game. Nice. So Pretty good. There, is, there is one person that is tearing this thing up. I'm just going to say that. So, I mean, if you guys are just okay with letting him just run away with this thing, but there's one person that is, is putting in the work. 
He's yeah, he's on fire. So is it Jay? It's not Jay. <laughs> Jay has not submitted anything. Jay, where you at, man? Come on, man. Jay's got like three play groups up there. He should at least submit something. Dude, I will tell you though. Jay went up there and it was kind of dormant in Michigan apparently from like all accounts. He goes up there and he's got a halfway a halfway decent size like not just play group but like out like I I don't know how how to how to phrase this, but like like a tra- almost a traveling play group because he went down to uh Indiana and helped host a tournament there. And I think Luke has gone up to his tournaments or, or, or whatnot. And so not just a, a play group, but one that kind of like, you know how Chris has a play group, but then Chris has like the smaller section that will travel and and get out and spread and go to other tournaments. Jay's got that up there now. So, I mean, Jay's done a really good job, it seems like, from the time that he moved up there to now. So shout out for Jay. Jay, you need to come help us get this off the ground in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I'm you gotta come, you gotta come back. It's football season. You gotta come back gotta to Alabama. Back. Listen, we're too focused on football. We need more like focus on cards. Speaking of football, last Saturday, <laughs> man, that was awesome. So Saturday, I got to take my son for our both of our first experience. I grew up a poor kid. Okay, we didn't go to many football games. Period. But we definitely didn't do it in a private skybox. So we went to a private skybox with like the catered food and everything and free everything and it was just kind of like just this i don't know i don't know how you, how you put like to grow up liking football and a team so much and it be right down the road not be able to afford something like that and then go it's kind of like boom you know life's in a pretty good spot if you're you're able to do that so i felt really blessed watching the game with my kid you know and it was fun watching Bryce Young go ahead and put his put his Heisman start to the season to get ready to go for his double up, be the next two-time Heisman winner like Archie Griffin. So That was nice. I'll, I'll let you know in about 20 years what that feels like, you know, whenever I get up to a skybox. Oh, man. And what's, what's crazy is the way that I got invited to the skybox was the company that we started leasing a building from, the guy that, runs that he he randomly texted me one morning at like 6 30 he's like hey you want tickets to the game and i was like uh yes and he's like all right it'll be in the skybox and i was like oh snap so that's been a fun experience that that whole thing you know who knows they've got it for the whole season so maybe maybe i'll get to go to another one well, but that's just my greed speaking you know you were almost late so there was that I was I was almost late. Yeah, I was there like three hours early. <laughs> I texted John randomly. I didn't even know he had the skybox tickets. I was like, "Hey man, what you doing?" Oh no, I called you. You're like, "I'm in the skybox." I'm like, "It's like three hours before the game. What are you doing?" I was like, "Yeah, hold on, I'll Facetime you. <laughs> Check out all of this. Nobody in the stands yet." <laughs> but they they said that they opened or well they opened. It was two and a half hours before, and I didn't want to. I didn't know where I was going or you know what the the congestion level would be or whatnot. I didn't know that you basically go to the gate and they escort you right to your skybox. I didn't know that it would be like that because when you're going to a regular seat, they don't care that much. I'm just saying. I guess we'll go ahead and let you know this is part in the podcast where we're going to shout out our sponsors at Covenant Games. So make sure you're supporting our friend John Early and the business over there, buying your sealed product there. You can also buy 
your threshing floor play mat. And if you guys sell that out, maybe we'll come up with another custom design. Who knows? But you've got that. You've also got some family-friendly games. And Brad was just telling me before we started recording about this this new show called like Little Demon or something and, and just the crazy things out there. So make sure your kids are not getting into that. Make sure they're getting into family-friendly games where they're spending time with you. And buy those games from Covenant Games. All right? Yeah, they can only play the Antichrist in Redemption and not watch it on this show. Actually, the Antichrist is not in Redemption? Yet. Um, <laughs> I guess that's a fair point, but I, I don't see it coming around. So I mean, You got like Red Dragon, you got like some of these other guys, so we're getting close. The, the I, Harlot I, of Babylon. <laughs> I guess so. All right, so... We're going to move into the main conversation for this podcast episode, and that's going to be finishing out our review series, our mini-series, talking about the big rule changes that came down after Nationals 2021 and carried us through this past season that just wrapped up with Nationals 2022. We talked about the change to how it was determined uh, which player would go first, that being a randomized method. We talked about that last week with my friend Jonathan Gomez. And then before that, we talked with Joe Schaefer about the four activation limit rule that was put in place. And before that, on the first of this miniseries, we talked to, who did I talk to? Man, my memory is just, it's blank. I feel like there's a, there's a whirling from the wind echoing in the chamber where my brain should be. I know it was a new guest. Luke. It was Luke. There you go. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'm sorry, Luke. I did not intentionally forget about you, buddy. Um, But we talked to Luke about the fact that rotation happened and what that meant for the game. And we talked to him specifically because he's someone that's been playing the game for a while. And he was a big, you know, proponent of classic and enjoying kind of that. Even when rotation happened, you know, he had that series with Jaden where he talked about classic decks and different eras of redemption. So I wanted to use him for the episode talking about rotation overall. But all those changes happened, but they happened kind of in a, a short span of time. And we just wanted to review how they affected the state of the game. And I think the rule from me personally that I was the most displeased with when it was first announced was the reserve rule. If Brad would be honest with you, we had some very candid talks about this rule to where um, I guess the passion that it brought out was kind of one of the, one of the main reasons that I was like, yeah, we need a podcast because I need somewhere to vent this frustration that I have about this. But by the time I actually went through and created the podcast and all of that, I had played a few games with it. I'm like, it's really not that bad, but just the, the at face value, I was like, this sucks. Like not even an, an, an educated reason of why I was just like, I don't like it. I want my remnant and my exiles turn one. You're already doing rotation. Let me have my cards. Let me have my comfort zone, but getting out of the comfort zone has opened up deck building, tremendously compared to where it was when people would just go the same turn one. I'm going to my exiles to get my I am creator to get my preferred hero down turn one. And then I'm going to be doing my remnant to grab another hero for 
And by the time you actually started the game, you were at like 12 cards and or resources in hand because your souls were being manipulated to generate that big turn one. So I guess let me ask you, Brad, like, what do you remember about the time that this was announced? And you, you can, you can, you can tell people about how mad I was. That's, that's fine if you want to do that. But how did you, how did you feel about it? And how do you think that kind of shaped as you played games and kind of got some experience with what the rule actually meant in the game? Yeah. So um, if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, I think there's a character on there that probably described you pretty well. Um, I think they actually call him anger. So um, <laughs> it kind of worked out. But uh, yeah, uh, I, re- I remember that very clearly. And I remember just how like, it was kind of, I think the the reason why it was like so frustrating is because there was so much to happen all at once. And we almost had like no warning. Like it was just kind of like, here's what's happening. Like, you know, at the time, I guess we were kind of, we were pretty new into it, into the, the game still. And you kind of felt like there was a lot of things that people could try to chime in and give their thoughts on. But this was like something that like, it didn't even matter what anybody thought. It was just like, boom, we doing this, <laughs> you know? And it's kind of like, well, maybe we don't want to do this, you know? And, um, but it didn't even matter. And so, yeah, uh, those conversations were definitely like a frustration. I remember, um, yeah, um, that's, that is, he's, he's not lying about that. Uh, the reason why we have this podcast right now, it started from the reserve rule and if you go back and look at the first two episodes, the first one is rotation is here. Episode two is don't touch that reserve. <laughs> and I thought John was going to go off on the podcast because he had been waiting to do that for like four weeks or something, you know, however long it took to get all this equipment in and actually like do the episode. And I was like full on prepared for him to like, and he even told me, I think at the beginning of that podcast, he's like, don't hold back on what your, your initial thoughts were. And I was like, okay. Um, I, you know, I I was frustrated, but I wasn't like, I wouldn't say I was mad necessarily because I I did want to see how it played out. And I did feel like the game was going too fast, but the thing I was frustrated about was all those star abilities that just got printed. It was like, discard this card from a reserve or, you know, do this to reserve, 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 reserve. And I was like, they just printed all these and now they just changed the rule. You can't do it turn one. And so, um, I know one of your complaints was that you had mentioned was somebody opens their pack of cards and they're like, they put this deck together, they're playing a game and you tell them, Oh wait, you can't do that. And that's kind of like a point of contention, I guess too, from all that. But yeah, I I will say that I also was, I feel like I'm self-aware enough to know that, I needed to give myself some time to sit with it before I reacted, but I definitely think between you and Derek, because Derek was on that first podcast as well, along with Jay. Um, I won't say, I won't say Jay talked me off the ledge as much because I feel like at times, like me and him were so like, uh, like I feel like we had some same thoughts or similar thoughts to where like we might've gassed each other up a little bit. We were like, yeah, man, it, it just seems like, and the word that gets thrown out so much about rule changes with redemption is like arbitrary. It feels arbitrary. Like there's no reason or rhyme for it. It's just like you've just got to know that this rule is in the game, that you cannot touch a reserve for the first round. 
And when people build their deck and, and they play it a certain way, they goldfish it and then they show up to a tournament and they don't know, you know, but a lot of that has, you know, changed with how open and, and accessible information is across the community now to where it's not as like, if you're plugged into the community at community at all, you're going to be pushed toward discord. And if you're plugged into discord in any capacity, you're going to know what's happening with the game. Or if you're, you don't, it's going to be kind of because of your negligence or your, your choice not to go and seek those things out. You do still have like players that aren't plugged into the community that might show up to a random encounter or, or, you know, tournament setting and find out that, but it's not as big of a deal as initially, like I was making it out in my own head. And I, I know that, but definitely, I think, I think talking to you and, um, and Derek was like, all right, well, you don't want it to just sound like a gripe fest. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I'll say a couple positive things, and then I'm just going to let them have it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think part of the frustration, too, though, is like you you know, you know, spend $50 on an ultra-rare remnant, and that goes in territory terms. Or you one. finally buy a second one Yeah. going into nationals. Yeah, you, you buy some of these more expensive cards. They're ultra-rares. And literally, there's a chance that you can't even get to use the card. Like, not from somebody else's ability, but by a game rule. And that's like, that was another one of those things like, man, I got to change my whole strategy, my whole deck. I've been working on this. Now, I will say when it comes to rotation, which I know y'all already talked about this on a different episode, but like, me and you were probably two of the stronger proponents to like. Oh, absolutely. Like, we kept- like, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was almost ready to, uh, to, to dance in the street. Dude, to celebrate, well, you know, like full on Mardi Gras style, <laughs> like, like don't throw me beads, throw me redemption cards, baby, because I am here for rotation. But then it was like, at the same time that you've got this joy is yeah. like, they kind of just threw it in with it. It's like, oh yeah. And you can't go to your reserve turn one or round one. It, it was pretty funny. Cause you know, well, first off, we don't have that many classic cards, so it wasn't a big deal. I know people who have a lot of classic cards. It probably was because a lot of money just kind of like sitting around. Uh, thankfully, there's different formats now that can use, utilize those. But I remember like just jumping in Discord on random channels and be like, hey, when are we doing rotation? You know, like nobody even knew who I was. <laughs> I'd just be like, hey, aren't, didn't we talk about rotation happening soon? Because <laughs> like we didn't have a date for it and they, they kept kicking around all the time. And like we just kept like throwing little messages in. I don't know if that had anything to do with rotation getting done when it did, but hey, you know, we were we were all about it. Yeah, I think when I first told you that like I found the the message boards for this and and then I was like, dude, cuz that was when we were playing every Wednesday night after uh youth service, we'd go drop kids off like at one point we were running double vans so that we could drop kids off faster, not because we had so many kids that needed a ride, just because we were like, if we take two vans, we can get them dropped off faster, get back and play sooner. And we were doing that, and we were coming back, and we were playing until ungodly hours of the night. Like, my toolbox got stolen off my truck at the, in the church parking lot because it was parked there overnight, and I guess it was just ripe for the taking. They stole my Bluetooth speaker for, that we were using for baseball for like walk up music out of the bed of the truck and put a crowbar on the on the bed rail and popped the uh, toolbox off and stole my toolbox and I didn't notice it until like the next day. Um, thankfully, they left all the baseball stuff for my kid. You know the the actual expensive stuff. 
Well, to add insult to injury to that, we, we got cameras at the church like two weeks later. <laughs> yeah, there was no cameras beforehand. But stuff like that happened because it was it would be like 4 a.m. some mornings yes. before I would leave uh, into Thursday. And, and then I wouldn't even go home. I would just go to work because I'd, I'd just give everybody a disclaimer. Look, guys, I didn't get to get a shower. I didn't go home. I'm I'm just here. You forgot to tell them that we stayed up till 4, but we only played two games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because <laughs> – we didn't know how to play. <laughs> we Redemption Aggie, we would be like, it would be like two or three in the morning. And it, like he knew because every single Wednesday without fail, we were on the quick, quick ruling. And we would just sit there and wait for somebody to like answer. Be like, please let Aggie be up. Please let Aggie be up. <laughs> or like Derek or somebody, like somebody come in and just, even if it's a wrong ruling, just give us a ruling. Uh, but but it, it never fails after we got the ruling. And it played out, and it didn't go Brad's way. He was like, well, let's just play it out and see how it would have went. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we we would play like crazy hours of the night. And I stumbled upon this like thread on the boards. It was like rotation might actually happen. And I looked into what that would mean. People were talking about it would be just the cards. In the, like At first, I was really excited because it was like just the cards in the new card size. Like, that was my biggest thing. Like, I hated the different card sizes. I loathed it. I still do. Um, it did not I, bother me. I know that it it, it's, it was an unavoidable thing at the time, but I love that cards are mostly the same size now. You know, and if you've done well at the last couple of nationals or you're willing to spend the money, you can have a regular size scattered or foreign wives. Hmm. So um, those are a little bit harder to come by, but, like, those are those are two of the – Two of the ones that you know you might not have in the new card size. Pretty much everything else is available in the card size that you would be playing, which is fantastic. But we were we were just so excited for rotation after I found that in a thread, and I was like, okay, boom. And we were like, that like reinvigorated us to keep trying to learn the game the right way and stuff. It was like rotation is on the horizon. But then when it finally happened. It came out of nowhere <laughs> and then had a reserve rule attached to it. <laughs> it was like, by the way, <laughs> yeah, this is what's I, happening. But I I will say that, like I mentioned before, that the opening turn of a game was like, all right, I'm going exiles to my I, I am creator, going to my deck to get my preferred hero. I'm grabbing a hero off Remnant from my reserve. And turn one of a game looked pretty similar no matter what the deck strategy was. And I think that in and of itself, it's kind of an issue. And I know that the reserve rule, the way that it was initially intended, because I went and found where it was first shared, and I shared that on the the podcast when we first announced or uh, talked about it um, almost a year ago now, about the reserve rule of what it was intended to be, like a sideboard for you to grab resources that would help you in battle against certain matchups and things like that. And I remember... I remember having the argument that if cards have been printed that make the reserve something that it is not, it's not it's not necessarily the player's fault that they're they're using the reserve in a way like Jay told me when I first started Redemption, he's like, You gotta look at the reserve as a second hand. <laughs> and like that thinking is what got us the reserve rule, okay? But like it's not Jay's fault that he's thinking that way. Like that's just a, a smart way to play it while the rules allowed it to be played that way. Um, but people were playing that into a, a super aggressive 
offensive approach that kind of just made the game way faster than it should have been, way too consistent at the start of the game to where if you didn't go first, all right, just shake hands. I remember a couple of tournaments, actually, down here in Alabama where John would say, (laughs) did you go first? You won, didn't you? Yep. Did you go first? You won. You go first? You won. Yep. Everybody went first one. All right. <laughs> yes. And you would. You'd be like, if I if you didn't go first, you'd basically be like, they get so you'd be like, all right, good game. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I think you forfeited once or twice. Did you or no? No, no, I've no, never for I've never, never forfeited. forfeited a game. Okay, my bad. No, somebody don't, don't don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. It, it was somebody in our play group that did. I won't name any names, but I know who I'm talking about. Oh, I know who you're talking about okay. now. Uh, but they'd be like, well, you're going to win anyway. Just, (laughs) I know exactly who you're talking about now. So we'll just let that ride. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it really opened up deck building and it kind of the, it, it feels like now a year later, the reserve has kind of morphed back into what it was originally intended to be. So I've got on here. What do you think the, ultimate goal for the rule change was, and I think it was to put it back to where it was a sideboard for additional resources for creating interactive battle phases to where you had resources to help you win battles and things of that nature. And I think it's really turned itself back into what that, and, and I didn't think it was going to do that. I thought, I thought that I thought at a certain point, like, in early on, like play testing around with the rule, I was like, I'm just not even using my reserve. I'm just playing with my deck. And so the reserve is kind of pointless, but it's not pointless. It's it's like the game slowed down enough to where you have time to get into your reserve now to where it is still useful, but it's not, it's not like, it's not the, the match that ignites the kaboom that your deck does. It's not like, okay, I'm going turn one exiles remnant and then kaboom because I'm grabbing all these resources from reserve. It's more like a slow burn. Like I'm getting into battle. I'm grabbing a resource here. I'm top decking this good card, but I've got Jeshua. It's going to let me draw it. And now I'm in battle with an additional resource for my reserve type of thing. And so I think it actually turned in. I, I think the rule did what leadership intended for it to do. What do you what do you think? Yeah, um, I think one thing that's helped that too is a lot of the cards in the new sets reserve cards. So like, just because a card says you can get a card from reserve, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's for a specific card now. Like it may get you back a card that somebody else put there, <laughs> and so it's like I need to get that card back. Like I, I know that uh, I forget which guy on defense. It may have been Super Silly Scribes or one of them gets a card. Like you exchange a card, but you yeah. get a card. You exchange, reserve. I think, an evil card for a card. Yeah. So like I've had my Son of God reserved a few times. And so I've had to kind of like bite the bullet and be like, okay, instead of getting an evil enhancement, I gotta get my dominant back, you know. Um and you know, I may not have crowd's choice in my deck or something. So um yeah, I, I think that it's definitely like it's it's not so so you, you you may not uh, know how you're going to play your reserve in a particular game, whereas before you knew exactly what you wanted to do with your reserve and how it was going to play. It didn't matter what you went up against. Um, I think about a card like uh, Romans Destroyed Jerusalem. Like That's not a very good card to have in your deck um, because you don't know if they're playing New Testament or not, for instance. Most likely they are now. 
Uh, but it would be great to have in your reserve and go to duplicity or something and just like wipe them out, you know, interrupt the battle, grab it from your reserve and play it. Um, that is a great play and something that, you know, as long as they're playing new Testament, you're good. So, uh, of course it would wipe all of yours out too, if, if you're playing new Testament, but still, um, it's a, it's a move you could go to. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about deck building and how kind of it opened up that turn one and it kind of reverted the reserve back to kind of a, a complement of resources that helped you throughout the game at different levels of the game. So, you know, like your super silly scribes, as a lot of people call them, grabbing unsuccessful. Unsuccessful at a certain point was a very common, I mean, it was a very common turn one, like, Obviously, it wasn't the most ideal, but if you knew you could push through and get that off turn one, you remember they, endless they treasures. They would go. They would go profane. Yeah, they would grab it with endless treasures or our profane daughters yeah. uh, from reserve, and it was it was a, an early set uh, roadblock that you had to work through. And now people strategically decide whether it's in their deck or whether it's in reserve, and they don't get a draw two to get it. And then if it's in the reserve, it has to wait until like mid game versus being one of those early, early blocks that you're consistently seeing, which just continues to break up and break the pattern of what a game or the gameplay of a type one game looks like. And I think opening it up to where games play differently is such a welcome change and makes the game feel fresh where there's differences game to game. But I think also the fact that you have you have the resources there and then you can build your deck to where you're not just kind of um, blitzing to get a turn one. Like, you're not trying to win the game on turn one. You feel like you can pace yourself a little bit more and get to those resources in the game versus just all-out aggressive aggro. And that's kind of hard to say now that we've got Matthew and people that were obliterating that turn one into um, Widow. Thank God Widow's gone. But I think that it, it just opens up opens up the pace of the game as well because you can kind of pace yourself if you're that type of player that wants to play in the mid-game, mid-range, and kind of a late game to have resources that you can go to. Yeah, it definitely um... – I think you're you're right with the, like the, just the consistency part of it. It's just, um, I think you know the way you the way you build your deck is is going to be a little bit better. Once we once we are getting these kind of broken combos out, like the widow, uh, now I think we'll be able to see it a little even more even more so. So, yeah. Do you think the reserve rule gave enough pause to hyper aggressive decks? Let's just say throw out people that were playing Widow because that's a broken interaction. And at this point, we've talked about it enough. It's gone. The big bad wolf can't hurt us anymore. But for people that were just playing like Matthew in Disciple-style decks or using Matthew just to kind of set up other deck strategies, turn one, he's he's a great hero to go into battle with to get the draw. And that's a hyper-aggressive move, I think, especially considering... You know, kind of how like you would build with the angels that could go to him, and you would just have all these ways to turn one Matthew. And so decks were built in a way to maximize that turn one. Do you think the reserve rule helped um, helped limit 
some of those aggressive strategies? Or do you think players found a way around them enough to where it kind of mitigated the slowdown that or the roadblock that the reserve rule was for those style players? As of now, from what I've seen, I don't know that it's necessarily slowed down people. Um, of course, I haven't played. I mean, Widow just got banned, so um, and I haven't played a whole lot of people uh, outside of that. But um, yeah, I mean, there are. A, I mean, I feel like every card in Redemption draws now. Like you can pretty much build your whole deck around drawing um, or searching out. So, and of course, you got like all these artifacts that can search you know you got denarius or you got four drachma coin or whatever else that you know you're plus four on the card and then you got delivered but you can go and get another one you know so you could play one then play the other and all these things so i, I mean as far as slowing down the game no, i mean if if i feel like in today's game if you don't go through like at least 25 30 cards on your first turn it seems like you had a bad turn <laughs> one um, but that's just from, I mean, again, I haven't played a whole lot of games lately, but that's how it felt this last tournament season. So I don't know that it necessarily slowed down, but I do like the fact that it, it does at least give a, a pause to consistency. Yeah. So I wanted to get that point out that I really feel like if you build your deck, you can build your deck to pace yourself to get to your reserve. But I also think that the aggressive players, that have those tendencies to just kind of rush out there, turn one, throw counters down, that strategy, you know, that was brought to us by John Early winning back-to-back national championships in type one uh, or national titles in type one. You know, it sounds superficial when you say national championships because I just think college football, but uh, national titles in type one um, and just showed us how to play the game in that, that way, in that style. And he even said the other day on, discord he was like the problem is now everyone knows that that's the way to play the game to where everybody just rushes out fast it drops counters and makes your opponent work through those counters i think there's enough people that are still pushing that super aggressive thing to where the reserve rule is not really a a stop sign or a roadblock i think it's more of a yield sign and then it's kind of like a yellow light like if you see a yellow light at at an approaching as you're approaching an intersection, what do you do? You hit the gas and you 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 burn through it instead of stopping. So you you just you see it, it's there, but you kind of kind of work around it. You, you you disregard it almost in deck building and strategies. And I think that that's kind of happened, especially this past season. Um, I think it was allowed to look like it was a lot stronger going around the reserve rule because of the fact that you had um widow that would help give you a boost of speed that you shouldn't have in your deck that shouldn't be a draw 12 in your deck you know maybe a draw three you get it one time okay do that and then not not abusing that so you don't have you know 40 cards in your deck in your hand and there's 10 cards left after turn one because the point is that it was supposed to slow down the consistency, or I thought I think that was that was part of it. That that hyper consistent turn one to where you always got these cards turn one. I think I think the game played out to a point to where before a lot of these rules were made, to where people could sit in a you know in their room and goldfish their deck 
and they could play their deck out exactly how they're going to play it out in a game to where then when a person is sitting on the other side, there's no interaction there because you haven't had to plan for interaction because you're just so consistent that you don't have to move to your battle phase because you weren't able to get the the setup that you needed. You can build your deck to hyper-aggressively set up your board in a, a favorable game state, almost to the point to where, like now, we've talked on Discord recently about um, three nails feeling like almost like a staple, like a requirement, just to be able to reset the game state because people are, you know, still so consistent getting that, that setup going, turn one, to where you might need to slot that in, similar to, like, kind of the vibe that, or the space that women's fallen away field to where it was kind of a catch-up card. Three nails is kind of like that for rotation now. Um, but I think players have found ways to work around the reserve rule, and it doesn't mean that the reserve rule didn't accomplish what it was set out to be because it turned the reserve into not being a second hand, but being a complement of resources that you use throughout the game. And so I think players have exploited exploited that with help of the widow combo and now that that's gone i guess we'll kind of see how it how it fills out but i do do think players have been able to play around the stop sign that it gave for the consistent turn one and they found ways to be almost as consistent maybe not as lethal and potent because they don't have all the battle resources because they're having to put some of those in reserve to where they don't get those turn one and consistency pieces are in deck now but I think players have definitely found a way to work around that to maintain a very consistent turn one, which has helped lead to the continued, you know, strong advantage for going first. Yeah. Uh, for a while, and it may still be this, but it was ex- kind of exactly what you said. You know, you want your golden calf, your cross down, your distress, your obed or whoever – so you're negating literally everything and restrict them from playing dominance and enhancements. And you're getting rid of all their evil cards in their hand so that they, they can't block you. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, you know, it. so once you get all your pieces out on uh, turn one, essentially like the game is being uh, won or lost in the prep phase. Um, it's not, it's, uh, it's, it felt like it was getting to the point where there, the battles really didn't matter. Like the, you knew, cause you already knew, you know, what's going to be in the opponent's hand. Cause you've already looked at it. You've taken cards out of it. Um, you know, you've limited them to what, what, what they can do and not do. And so like you, you won in the prep phase and there's essentially nothing you can do about it unless you reset. But now that some of those, now, now that the, the limits on them and the, the four, the four activation limit, and the widow's gone. Uh, I will be interested to see kind of how decks balance out a little bit more, but you know, hopefully they will. Hopefully, hopefully, going through thirty cards in a turn, a turn one on off of a draw eight, you know, your initial draw eight is not common, but we'll see. Yeah, it's similar to because you bring up the fact that there's the four activation limit rule in with this, and that's fine. I think if if I'm going to draw the comparison that that all of these changes happened at one time and then talk about how they affected the game potentially, like I guess I said it previously that the, the issues with the game seem cumulative. I, I said this on the episode with Joe, and I might have went a little hard at Joe. <laughs> so 
Joe Schaefer was really a really a great great person to have on the podcast, and hopefully you know he'll want to come back on later. But I feel like I might have I might have gone a little headstrong talking about it. But I was I I spoke out of you know kind of like that that long term frustration when things just keep being an issue. Like a lot of people will call them legacy issues, things that just throughout different iterations or different seasons of the game they just continue to linger and you know i i think if we're going to talk about how they feel cumulative all of the issues that the game have then we have to talk about how all of the changes that leadership has made to the game are cumulative as well put them together and compare and i did this uh on a previous episode but like just compare all of these rule changes if they had not taken place what would the tournament season have looked like this past season and oh boy <laughs> Oh boy, that would have been like there was. You would have legitimately had people winning the game turn one. Yeah, like like there, there's just no reason to even play the game past turn one, past turn one prep phase. It like you would know who was going to win that game turn one prep phase. Um, didn't Jaden do that? Uh, like a didn't he do a cross rescue on turn one or something? Yeah, he, he did. Deck? He did, but he had to work for it. I think he went through a hundred cards. He did. And he did it against, I believe it was Emmanuel. Yeah. Um, but could you imagine without any of these these changes? Like, so rotation wasn't a thing. You had all of those cards in there. You had, so you had all the card pool. You had, I mean, just think about a soldier's prayer just added with this. And, you know, consider the lilies and, and cards like that that went away. And you bring those back in. And then you have the reserve access. So you can go Remnant, Exiles, Turn 1. You have the Endless Treasure Draw 2. You have things like that that just rob interaction from the game. And we've got to acknowledge that all of these rules have pushed interaction a little bit more, and they continue to push us toward interaction. And I think I think part of, part of analyzing this, and I've asked whoever's been on the podcast for each of these review episodes, is just think about the tournament season had this rule not been implemented. So you could go to your reserve turn one with – Circus. So with Jeremy's deck, turn one, he could go to the reserve. Like, think about how brutal that would have been. And so play devil's advocate a little bit and just look at what the season would have looked like. Describe how that would have felt because you were on the other side of Jeremy. And we know we're not trying to knock our friend Jeremy, but I mean, he's played two decks that have just been flat out unfun to play against the last two years with love at first sight. And then you put down a character at Southeast regionals against Jeremy and didn't play another card the entire game. Yeah. I didn't like, play, you didn't uh, play a single enhancement. I don't think I played a single defensive character or enhancement. Um, I think I, I, I think I went into battle once, um, on offense and that was it. So I, I literally played, we played three turns cause that's how long it took. And yeah, I think I played one or two cards, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's that's a testament to how good of a deck builder he was, um, but also a testament to how the interactions were at the time. So, um, but yeah, that's 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 definitely not a, a fun experience to, to be on the other side of that. Yeah. So imagine, though, as he did that to you, Southeast Regionals this past season, if he was able to go to his reserve and get into that stuff and be even more potent and consistent at the, the front of the game. Yeah. I mean, so the, the rule has done something 
to mitigate some of that hyper consistency in turn one. But then we're always as players that care about the game, we're always going to be asking the question, did it do enough? And did these rules together do enough? And I think that we're at the point to where the community's evaluating that and offering, you know, their ideas and thoughts on it. And that's healthy to see because you don't talk about that if you don't care about the state of the game. So people caring about the state of the game is important to the health of the game long-term. But obviously we want to try to do everything in a respectful way, but I feel like there's still work to be done because the the players that were able to get through all of the rule changes and still find a way to be hyper, you know, consistent to where they could get their deck strategy and put it in place early on in the game to where it made the other person feel like they were against it to the point to where now we're talking about three nails being a necessary and required card in tournament play. I mean, I mean, thank God that that card was, you know, on the design team's mind when GOC came out and we have that card. But the fact that you feel like you have to reset the game to have a chance to win if you go second. Yeah. I mean, that that still talks about the, the amount of work that needs to be done. But I have come around on this. And, I, you know, I was talking to, um, to Jaden just through uh, Discord just in kind of passing, I, w- I was sharing an idea of kind of like a format thing that we could test out. Uh, you know, what what I talked to you about testing out. Um, and then I, I told him, I was like, I don't really think sweeping changes need to happen as much as like, it's also on us as players to make sure that we're exploring the full array of deck building options and explore various spaces that, you know, like, Chad's list that he put out on Land of Redemption last week to where he's not playing into the territory class prep phase nonsense, going crazy with that. But he's more like, I'm just getting into battle and I'm trying to do it, you know, in a in a way that I have all of these resources in battle and that's where I want to be strongest, not strongest in the prep phase. And I think it's important for us to explore all of those spaces in deck building and kind of figure out and and not be so... I might get some flack for this, but it's almost like copycatish to where, oh, Jeremy's winning with with this deck or this strategy. Well, now I can just do it, and then I can win with that too. And it feels like everybody kind of plays into the same play style. Like there's a lot of decks now. If you look at last year, there's a lot of decks that wanted to, you know, have a good setup turn one, and then they wanted to start picking off resources out of your hand, hand control. But I mean, even even different deck strategies or uh, deck themes. So, like, you could do that with post-exilics and Romans. You could also do that with, you know, Kings of Judah doing the impartial judgment play. You could do it with Disciples doing an impartial judgment play, um, things of that nature. You could do it with a gray defense that wasn't Pharisees, that was just a blend of gray uh, evil characters like the Lying Prophet, Profane Daughters, Naaman, that type of thing, and, and just pick on the opponent's hand. And now it's like, if you're not running some type of hand control in your deck, you're you're not doing it right. But now if everybody's doing it, it's like, where's the creativity in deck building now? That type of thing. So I feel like there's 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 room within the, the game state as it is to find different ways to play the game, to maybe make sure that we're exploring all of those options before we feel like, there is more rule changes or more things that need to happen. 
Where do you feel on that? Yeah, well, I'm glad that the, uh, I know that the elders and stuff hear us, and I hope it doesn't come across that we're always, I, I think, I hope that, that it comes across that we just care about the game and want to see it as best state rather than we're just negative and critical. But um, I know that they're thinking like three, four, five years in advance. So anytime that they are thinking about something that might be a problem, they're looking at it with, a five-year kind of vision in mind um so that that just takes a little bit that's that's probably why they say no to some things that probably make sense right now but it wouldn't make sense in the future um you know type thing um but you know i, I do feel like we're we're kind of like on the verge of of um and like i, I guess I, I feel like we're on the verge of having a really like super healthy game you know I feel like uh, just in the sets that we've seen, because we came in in Prophecies of Christ, I feel like balancing the idea of it being fun, uh, it it giving you like options and strategies to choose from, uh, and also you know kind of cre- being creative, all those things are really great, and are definitely I feel like what Redemption like is good at, per se, um, but yeah, I mean. I, I think everybody is in agreement with the fact that you don't want to spend like however many days and hours and months crafting a deck and being a very good player and a very good pilot of a deck and knowing that you're a good player. I'm not saying that's me because I haven't you know proved myself on anything, but like for people who are really good for it not to even matter. You know, like to, to spend all that time on your deck and all that money and everything else, and then to get into a game and just feel like it didn't even matter what my deck was like because I didn't go first. You know, it's not, you know, I'm like, yeah, like you didn't get the chance yeah. to do it. Like, even if you had the perfect deck built that you never got to see your deck because yeah. they just they picked off resources in your hand from their opening prep phase and their opening big turn and they controlled the tempo. Like, I mean, yeah. it's it's to the point to where. I think Jaden said it, and I hate name-dropping things when I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure Jaden said um, someone was talking about having impartial judgment, impartial judgment, uh, playing that on someone to get rid of cards, and then potentially resetting the game. And he's like, but why would you reset after impartial judgment? Because you should be winning the game at that point. Like You should know you're going to win that game almost. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if we can have a turn one that – we play any card and we feel so confident that we're going to win that. And it's not, it's not wrong of Jaden to say that as a player, if that's an option on the table and impartial judgment is an option on the table and you can maximize that and then carry that and continue to manipulate their hand to the point that they can't really block you and you go three turns and you win the game. That's a viable option in the way that the game is set up right now. And I think that's that's one of the things that make it everything that we we talk about with redemption is is out of passion for the game. So I hope that it comes across that we just care about the game versus like we have some kind of strong issue with the game. That type of thing, you know? Yeah. And so I hope it comes across that way, but it's evident that there's still work to be done. And so these rule changes were all, I feel like, in retrospect, they were all kind of necessary or they have a future benefit to the game. But I think there's definitely still more work to be done 
to try to clean up the the current state of the game to where it is pushed back more towards interaction between players, especially in the battle phase, to where each player feels like from the opening dice roll they have a chance to win. Whether that dice roll landed in their favor or did not, sure, there should definitely be benefit to going first. I mean, it's it, it's a race to five. And no matter which way you slice it, the first of five wins. So the first person that gets an opportunity to get a soul should have some advantage. But what should that advantage be? And how much of that advantage and how far is how how much of an advantage is too much? And I think we're still in the too much range and working on, you know, ideas to bring it back down. That's what the community's talking about. That's what, you know, Jared's been having conversations with the community about and talking about you know, the role of the community in testing different ideas and things of that nature. And we're going to have him on next week to talk about that. But I think that the big thing is, I think all of these rules in retrospect served a purpose for the game to get us to the current state that we're in. And we're in such a better state than we would be without them. I really do believe that even though I was, you know, angry about the, <laughs> the reserve rule being thrown on us last year. And I, I just, I also, I, I remember one of the biggest things about the reserve rule last year that I was upset about is like how much it hampered defense because there's a lot of defensive plays that go to your reserve. And I, I thought that would take us away from having, you know, more interactive battles, you know, early on. But I don't think that's as big of a deal as I thought it would be. But I think all of these these rules in retrospect served a purpose to get us to a more healthy game state than we would have been otherwise. But there's, it, it feels like there's still work to be done. Yeah, and I think part of that it, that it does is it does spark creativity. You know, something will break through and make sense more. And you know, Jared's been really great about being on the forefront of that, and um, you know, as well as several others. But you know, uh, it's you know, it's it's still really cool. And I, 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 I've really, like I said, I've played. I think one maybe two games with that new starter deck. And I feel like they got that like exactly right, in my opinion. Uh, I remember that was one of our first episodes as well. Uh, I can't remember which episode it was. But we were talking about if you were Rob Anderson <laughs> and you had to make a starter yeah. deck, what would you make it like? And, and we were sitting there like dreaming like, well, I would make it this and I would make it fun. I would make it simple, but kind of have like enough complexity in there and – and uh, you know, interaction in the battle phase and all this stuff. And it's like I play it and I'm like, wow. Like, not saying that they just literally like took everything we said, but like like they knew what they were doing and it's it's a fun it's much more fun than IJ. Yeah, it feels <laughs> no offense to whoever did the IJ. I don't mean that in any kind of way. I'm just saying like we've we've improved over the years. It definitely feels like that like if you were to go back and listen to that episode, it's almost like I knew, uh, you and I knew, or especially some of the things I said. Um, I feel like almost sounds like I had knowledge of the decks that were coming, and I had no idea because I was like, you would want it to be themes that people know without having to know the Bible. And I was like, so you have David. Who else do you have? Because I didn't feel like people necessarily knew Ruth or even some of the disciples. But I was like, I mean, there's Moses. I feel like most people know Moses because of like the the worldwide success that Prince of Egypt had, even though like, you know, it was a Christian themed movie, but it was made by a, you know, 
a non like a secular movie studio. It wasn't made with the intent of being a Christian movie. It was just being made a movie that was sharing a Christ, uh, Christian faith story, the story of Moses. And like just so many of those ideas that like you can go and be okay, that was in there, that's in there. It's pretty cool. Um and there for every for everything that we have that's like making us question, you know, like how much work is still to be done about the game as players, you know, because we are invested as players. There's also a lot of things to be excited about. Like I'm super excited for uh the new starter decks, but also the fact that those starter decks are going to be parlayed into the next set after that. And so you're going to have like a thematic, like buy this starter deck and go on this journey with us as this game develops into the next couple of sets. And you can feel like you're part of that journey, even though you might be a new player. Yeah. I'm really excited about trying GOC only too. You know, um, I think this is probably, you know, the most excited I've been about like not having the full card pool, but just like sticking to it. I don't think I ever played a single LOC only game. Not that I didn't want to. I just didn't really have the cards and it really worked out. Not a whole lot of people were playing that, but uh, GOC only, I feel like, is going to definitely get played. Blue Gabriel, baby. Woo! Let's go. I've only got two of them now. Also, got hooked up by my friend, Jonathan Gomez. <laughs> so, I guess we'll we'll work on wrapping it up here. I think from from what we've said, I think both of us are leaning towards that. The reserve rule long-term is healthy for the game. It's just a matter of it combined with the current rules that, that we've reviewed that were implemented last year. They are definitely a, a step in the right direction, it feels like. But there's still a little bit of work to be done, and it'll be interesting to see how the elders, you know, use the community um, and, you know, like our conversations that we're having Hopefully they find something useful in these reviews and just to, even if it's just to know what one random guy in Alabama thinks about, you know, the current state of the game and whatnot. Not that I have any, any stronger, uh, no one should care more about my opinion than anyone else that plays the game just because I'm, I'm a loud mouth on a podcast type of thing. But, you know, at least sharing those thoughts lets the leadership group know how, members of the community are feeling and they see the conversations that are happening on discord to kind of know where our uh, collective mind is on the state of the game and then use that as to, to help with their, their research and how to better the game and take the next step forward. And I'm definitely interested to see what the next step forward is as it happens and comes down from leadership. But I definitely think that the rules have all been, effective for pushing us toward the right direction hype train's gotta keep going so yeah hype train will keep going if you guys get off the couch i said it earlier in the episode get off your butt grab a starter deck whether it's ij whether it's kl i mean show somebody lackey i mean that's a that's a that's gonna be a difficult first encounter with the game of redemption but do something just to show the game off. Showcase the game. Use your passion for the game to, you know, allow you to share the game with others. Share your faith through the game. And make sure you use the form that I put out last week. That form will stay active until we close up the response window for this, which is expected to be open until uh, close to the Mr. Classic 
that is going to be happening early next year in February or March. And maybe you win some cool prizes. But the whole point of this and the hope is that we share the the game with other people and we get other people excited about the game to where it's not just, hey, man, we had like, what was it, like 70 players in type one at nationals or something like that. And we had 100, uh, you know, attendees or whatnot. Let's have 200. Let's let's make that a thing. Let's let's shoot for that. Like, it's okay to have big goals and big dreams with the game. And the only way you're going to get there is if you start, you know, pick up a shovel, dig, plant the seeds. You know, you got to build the boat before you can order the animals. Can't have the animals standing around waiting on you to build the boat. Right. All right. King Noah said that. King Noah. All right. When you're so. right, you're right. All right. Anything you want to say in closing, Brad? Uh, not really. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. And, uh, hey, you know what? I'll be, I'll be back on, you know, a couple months in the future. So. You know what, guys? I think you, you all should blow up Discord and at Brad G <laughs> and tell him how much you enjoy having him on the podcast again and tell him that he should be on the podcast more regularly. So, Got a, got, a, got a few big life changes that are about to make that difficult, but, you know. I will not be on Discord a whole lot over the next few months. You will Just not. forewarning. You will be getting the last bit of sleep that you will before. All right, so we'll wrap up here. Thanks for joining, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. That was number 43, now in the books. I want to thank Brad for coming on, and I want to thank you guys for tagging along and listening. I want to remind you to get in your games for the Lackey Grand Prix, number five that's going on. And if you've signed up for the Series 6 of the Zoom Discord Invitational, be on the lookout for that. I think the unofficial tournaments are really helping to craft uh are, are giving us you know purpose for deck building and play testing new decks and strategies and i think that's pretty cool i want to remind you also to do the plus one initiative get out there share the game i said it a couple times on the podcast in a joking manner but the game only grows as much as we put effort into growing the game so make sure you're doing that as you have the opportunity and maybe win some prizes for doing so using that link to sign up and submit your plus ones. And we'll talk to you next week when we have Jared on the podcast. Peace. Peace.